Isn't our God good to us? He is. I love, uh, I love that song. Talking about how the Lord is a lift of our head and how He just encourages us. You know, the Lord knows whenever we need to be encouraged. And He knows exactly what to say. He knows exactly when to say it. He knows the song that we need to hear. He knows the word that we need to read. Um, he has the word that sustains the weary. And I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful that God is up to something in your life. I think I can confidently say that about every single person who names the name of Jesus as Savior. God is up to something in your life. And we call it sanctification. God is in the process of making you holy. God is in the process of doing some things in your life and, uh, and, and positioning you in places within your life so that he can lead you into a lifetime of holiness. That's what this uh, sermon series is about. It's about what it means to be set apart. That's what it means to be sanctified. That's what sanctify means. Sanctify means I'm going to take something and I'm going to put it over here for a special purpose. And that's what God has done for your life. And that special purpose, I know that sometimes we like to think about what is God's individual purpose for my life, but that special purpose to which God has set all of us apart is this process of sanctification, this process of being made holy. It is what it means to be saved. Last week, I shared with you the three tenses of salvation. I share this a lot. I don't know that I've ever shared it uh, with as much explanation as I did last week, uh, but the Bible clearly says that we have been saved. This is what our justification series was all about as we began Romans. Saved is something in the past that God has done for you where he declared you righteous. But saved is also something that's going to happen in the future. There's a future tense of your salvation. It'll be full, it'll be complete, and you will be absolutely glorified and separated from the presence of sin. But to our point of this passage and of the verses that we looked at last week and this passage that we're going to read this week and many passages that we're going to look at in coming weeks, God tells us and clearly shows us in his word that we are being saved, that there is a process of sanctification. This is what God's doing in your life. You may not recognize it. You may not fully see it and comprehend it. But all of God's activity in you right now is leading towards your holiness and is leading towards your sanctification. There are some people don't believe that. There are some people that believe an ancient heresy, and I shared this with you last week, called antinomianism. Basically, antinomianism means anti-law. This is a phrase that was coined by Martin Luther during the Reformation. It basically means that there's no divine requirement to obey God's moral law. Most of us don't believe that, but sometimes we see, and I introduced this last week, this soft antinomianism, which basically says, yeah, I know that God wants me to obey his laws, but if I don't, it really doesn't matter all that much. I mean, after all, I'm saved no matter what I do. 
I bring that up again because last week at the beginning of our passage in Romans chapter 1, it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? And we talked about that a little bit. Well, Well, basically, the same exact thing is repeated again in Romans chapter 6 verse 15 says, well, what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And he says, by no means. And so this lets us know that the same line of thinking, the same argument is being presented that if we are saved, that we're going to walk in holiness. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And so this dispenses with All thoughts that God's law doesn't matter or is not a big deal in our life. And so last week we looked at this one of these strong images of sanctification. The fact that we have a spiritual union with Christ. That we are united with him in his death and in his burial. And that we're also united with him in his resurrection. This morning we're going to look at a different image to describe our sanctification. One which might be a little bit offensive. We are slaves of God. This is an image that's used in Romans chapter 6, the fact that we are slaves of God. In fact, I thought it stood out so much in our verses today that I made it the title of my message um, that, uh, to, to describe, because I believe that it, it, it drives the point home so clearly and describes how much we are to be committed to God. And how much we are obligated to walk in the commands of Jesus and to do everything that he tells us to do. Now again, this may not be a pleasant image, um, but it is one that drives the point home. I'm going to give you a summation of all these verses, Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 23. And we're going to read all these verses together, but not up front. Because what I want to do today, I want us to just capture... Uh, a summation of the main idea of all of these verses, and they're really just found in in chapter 6, verse 22 through verse 23. And so I invite you to stand with me as we read and just focus upon these verses at the very beginning of this message. This is at the very tail end of the whole passage and kind of gives us the summation of, of, uh, of this image of being slaves of God. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, today, as we explore this passage, Lord, where we have this image of what it looks like to be a slave of uh, of you and not a slave of sin, and as we just celebrate the reality that we're no longer slaves of sin, that, Lord, that we're here to serve you and that we receive a magnificent benefit of eternal life, that the fruit that we receive of that, Lord, is so much better than serving sin. 
And I pray today, God, that you would speak to your people, that you would show them maybe just that one area like they prayed about before in this worship service. Lord, just that one area to which you really want to do a work in their life today and maybe in the coming weeks. We invite your Holy Spirit to be with us. We invoke the name of Jesus in this prayer and ask you to be present with us. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, like I said before, slavery is not a pleasant image. It's just not a pleasant image at all. It kind of helped me, kind of causes us to revert back, many of us, to think about the history of slavery, which was in our nation, uh, something that is still talked about during these, uh, these times. And the slavery in our nation really was more geared towards a racial form of slavery. But it has to be noted, in ancient times, that was not the case. In ancient times, slavery was more like maybe what you and I would describe as indentured servanthood. It would be where a person needed to pay a debt or a person might would need maybe what you and I would call a loan and they didn't have any way of paying it. They owed something and they didn't have any way of paying it. And so what they would do is they would present themselves as a form of payment. And in many times, uh, they would have to give over their children in order to, uh, to, to pay back the debt and their children would become a laborer for their creditors. And so again, it was much like indentured servanthood where there was a voluntary agreement, and that's important, a voluntary agreement in which a person would present themselves as a form of payment and their labor as a form of payment, but not forever. It would only happen for a short period of time. So there would be a period of five years or a period of seven years. The interesting thing that we see in the Old Testament is that the law of Moses actually allowed this um, through the year of Jubilee. And so I only bring that up because the image of slavery here is, uh, that's presented in Romans chapter 6 is not the image of someone being dragged, kicking, and screaming, and put in shackles, and forced into bondage. The image that we see here is someone voluntarily offering themselves to be the servant of another. And the context that we see here is the idea of whether someone is going to offer themselves or present themselves to be a servant or a slave of sin, or whether someone is going to voluntarily offer themselves to be a servant and a slave of God. And so what the scripture says in these opening verses, the scripture tells us to present ourselves to God. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses, uh, verses 12 through verses 14. The Bible says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And so the scripture tells us that there needs to be a voluntary act 
of the free will whereby we either present ourselves to God for His service or we present ourselves to sin so that sin might be a master over us. And God's Word says, don't do it. Don't present yourselves to sin. This is the Word of God telling you that you have, a, you have a voluntary choice to make. That you can either present yourselves to sin or you can present yourselves to God. We must have a resolve inside of us that we will surrender to God and surrender to Him alone. And so the Scripture says, present yourselves to God. Present yourselves to Him to be His servant. Now, this is a command that really and truly can only be given to a person that is born again. Unsaved people have no access to God. Unsaved, unsaved people, the way that they present themselves to God is to come before Him in repentance and faith and be saved. That is, uh, that's a little bit in view in, in this passage, but what is mainly in view in this passage is the Christian being told to present themselves to God for his use. And uh, because if you're, I mean, if you're not born again, you can't really offer yourselves to God for their usefulness. I mean, I could uh, walk down the street here, I could go up Willow Avenue right here, and I could walk into the Tennessee Tech football locker room, and I could present myself to be their star lineman. That's not going to happen. I'm not qualified to do that. Uh, I'm not big enough, I'm not strong enough, and I am way too old. I could, go to a, I could go to the Pentagon, and I could knock on the door, and I could present myself uh, to a general and say, I want to present myself to be command over some troops overseas somewhere. Not going to happen. Uh, matter of fact, I could go down to Chick-fil-A, and I could walk in the door, and I could tell the owner of Chick-fil-A, I could say, hey, I'm here to run the front line and tell all of your employees what to do. That's not going to happen. I, for any of these roles, I have not been trained for them, I have not been recruited for them, I have not been chosen for them, I have not been hired to do these things. However, if I was recruited to play football, or if I was a trained military commander, or if I had gone through all the processes of Chick-fil-A in order to operate a cash register, now it's no, it's, it's no longer if I should, it's just a matter of the fact that I must present myself to God. It is a requirement now. I have to show up for practice. I have to go through basic training and report for duty. I have to clock in. I am required at that point. And the scripture tells us that this is our spiritual act of worship. That we are called as Christians to present ourselves to God, to present ourselves to Him, to present our members to Him for something important, that we are to present ourselves to Him to be instruments of righteousness. This is what God has commanded you to do if you name Jesus as Savior. You are commanded to present, him, present yourselves to Him, to be a tool, to be a weapon, to be a piece of equipment, to be an instrument for him and not just an instrument necessarily to be used for some grand purpose 
not just an instrument to uh, maybe exercise your spiritual gift, although there are different places in Scripture that that is spoken about. You are commanded to be instruments of righteousness. You are commanded to walk in holiness, to walk in sanctification, and to take an action whereby you voluntarily present yourselves to God for this explicit purpose. Ultimately, we have to choose our master. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Look at this great verse. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, well, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, obedience to God as his slave, which leads to life. You see, ultimately, we have to choose a master. And there are only really two choices here. We either present ourselves to sin, and sin is its master over us, or either we present ourselves to God, and the Bible says that this leads to life. And you can only have one master. To whom will you submit? The Bible clearly teaches that we're called to submission, clearly teaches that we are called to submit to God. Now, in our flesh, we don't like the idea of submission. We don't like to submit to one another. We don't like to submit to governing authorities. We don't like to to submit to all types of rules and processes and things like that. We like to think of ourselves as free people, as people that can be uh, rugged and individual. But the truth is, we are going to submit to people in this life. We really have no choice. Um, we're going to submit to a, 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 in a certain way to governing authorities around us. We are going to submit in some type of way to our spouses or we're not going to have a good relationship with them. We are going to submit to one another as church members or we're not going to walk in spiritual unity. The Bible clearly teaches that we are called to submission. And whenever we think about our submission to God, if we don't want to submit to him, then basically what we're doing is by default is we are submitting to, surrendering to, and giving up to our natural sinful nature inside of us. Now, I know it doesn't feel that way whenever we do that because we're just following the natural impulses of our heart and just seeking to live in a way that pleases ourselves. But it is clearly a bondage that we're in. So what does it look like, if we're going to choose a master, what does it look like to be slaves of sin? Well, the Bible clearly teaches in Romans chapter 6 that slaves of sin experience death. This is one of the curious things that we see that is stated about sin all throughout Scripture. That if we obey sin, that if we walk in sin, that if we allow sin to be our master, that somehow that sin uh, leads to death. In fact, the Bible even says right here in verse 23, it says, the wages of sin is death. That's that's an often quoted verse. We quote that a lot during evangelism. We say, well, uh, the wages of sin is death. And that's true. Uh, The wages of not accepting Christ, uh, if, if we're not covered in Christ, then the wages of our sin, 
sin is going to be an eternal death. But the truth is, the wages of our sin in general, if we choose to embrace them, brings about a form of death. And there's, uh, uh, go back one slide if you don't mind. Uh, we see those uh, in, in other verses, it says that sin which leads to death and the fruit that you're getting, it talks about the end of those things are death. And so we ask ourselves, you know, how does sin bring about death? And we see that in the next slide. In the next slide, we see that sin brings about physical death. We see this in Adam and Eve. The only reason that Adam and Eve experienced physical death is because they sinned against God. God did not create us to die. He did not create us in that way. Adam and Eve, if they would not have sinned, they would have physically lived forever. The only reason that we die in general, the only reason that human beings die is because of sin inside of us. Remember what God told Adam and Eve. He said, if you eat of that fruit, you will die. That will be your penalty. And it's all of our penalty. I mean, our bodies are decaying, and it's just a matter of time. We will experience physical death. But sin also leads to spiritual death. Sin leads to, in, in, a, in, in a large measure, a separation between us and God. For the unsaved person that doesn't know Jesus as Savior, there's absolutely no connection. They're under God's wrath, and they will experience a spiritual death in their life, or really they're going to remain in a spiritual death because they won't be alive to Him. But the same is true for those of us who are believers. If you're a believer in Jesus, and let's say you're walking in the Spirit one day, and you're reading the Word of God, and you're praying, and you're doing everything that the Lord wants you to do, and you just feel and sense that you are just alive to God, and you read and have your quiet time all week, and you show up for church, and you sing, and the songs are just alive to you, and the preaching, and the reading of the Word, and the prayers, and you can just really sense that the Holy Spirit is alive in you as you go about your daily activity. But then what happens? You get derailed, right? You commit that sin, that pattern of behavior, and you present yourself to sin, and all of a sudden, that old master tries to come and tries to, and tries to take hold of you. And what happens whenever you do that? Nothing good. You feel separated from God. Now, you're not going to be dead to God again, but you can feel that way on the inside. You can definitely feel it whenever you're walking in sin and there is this separation between you and God. Now, I think God is so gracious in that moment. Even the Lord can work in our life even in the midst of that. And he does pull us back from that. But what sin does is it brings about death. It brings about death of a relationship between us and God. It destroys, it hurts, it, it hampers, it hinders everything in which it comes into contact with. But ultimately, sin leads to an eternal death. Now, this is, of course, is, is speaking about a death that people, um, people who are outside of Christ will experience. An eternal death in a place called hell with separation with God forever. Now, here's the good news. The good news is, is that in this whole chapter, what the Apostle Paul is saying and what God is saying is that you are no longer slaves to sin. That you have been set free 
that one day, even though your body is going to physically die, your body is also going to be physically raised from the dead, and you'll be perfect and live in heaven forever in a new body that will never get sick. You're, you, when you're going to be saved from, phys- from a physical death. When you come to know Jesus as Savior, you're saved from spiritual death. The Bible says that we were dead in trespasses and sins, but God made us alive in Christ. And we even see that language in this text, that we've been brought from death to life. And you're certainly not going to face any type of eternal death. This whole passage is basically saying, stop presenting yourselves to sin. You don't have to obey it anymore. It doesn't have any mastery over you anymore. Stop making these voluntary decisions to present yourself to an old master to whom you no longer have to obey. And all it does is hurt you. I mean, that's, that's all it does. I mean, think about any sin that you have in your life. Think about any mistake that you have previously made. I mean, oh sure, you enjoyed that sin for a minute. And that's, that's the, that is the biggest deception of sin. Is it is so enjoyable in the moment. You get mad at somebody and you just tell them off. And you give, you give way to that anger. And, and you just, man, those words just come out and sting. And you just feel so good about it, right? And then afterwards you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. And you, and you regret it. That, that's the experience of a Christian. We could point to just about any sin that you could possibly think of. It feels really good when you first do it, but then afterwards, it just, it just eats you up inside, and it destroys life. And so Paul is saying, God's Word is saying, stop doing that. Stop presenting yourselves to sin. And he says, rather, be slaves of God. Slaves of God. Of God experience sanctification. I love these verses. Let's read, let's, let's look at these. Let's read these together. It says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves, you see, you used to be slaves. You're not slaves anymore. He says, You who were once slaves, he says, Now there's something different. You have become obedient. And not just obedient on the outside, you become obedient from the heart. You see, that's the change that takes place whenever we become slaves of God, is that we become obedient to Him, obedient from the heart. And that, that's what's so important. God doesn't, God doesn't want us just begrudgingly following His commands so that, because we think we're earning something. Listen, that's what lost people do. Lost people who don't understand the gospel, they try to obey God thinking that somehow that's going to earn them favor with God. That's, that's not what saved people do. Saved people say, I'm pleasing to God and I want to be obedient from the depths of my heart. I, I desire to be obedient. And then it says, you were once slaves of sin, now you become obedient from the heart. And you're obedient to something specific. You're obedient to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You see, we have standards as believers. We have standards of holiness. We have standards of godliness that the Lord has has called us to. And we've been taught these standards. We know these these standards are clearly in Scripture. 
If you have been in church any length of time, and certainly if you grew up in church, and maybe you, maybe you just now started to come to church, but you know that there are standards that we hold. And while there seems to be in some churches and in some denominations this effort to dismantle traditional biblical standards, the, the truth is if we know Jesus and we're obedient to him, we say, no, from the heart, I want to follow those standards. In my heart, I, I want to I live up to those standards. And I want God to do a work in me to bring it about. I want him to sanctify me. And he says, that standard of teaching to which you were committed. And he said, and having been set free from sin, you're now slaves of something else. You are slaves of righteousness. Now righteousness can be looked at in two ways. Righteousness can be looked at as a declaration that God makes upon you. That's what it means to be justified. God looks at you and says, you're no longer guilty and you're justified. Um, what this is speaking about is you are slaves to a pattern of righteousness in your life. That you, you now, through sanctification, you become slaves to saying, I want to reach those standards. And here, here's... I'll just tell you, here, here's how it kind of works. Here's how it kind of works for me. Whenever I was an unbeliever and I had sin in my life, it was like I was a slave to that sin and it was like there's nothing I could do about it. My, the desires of my heart just drew me towards it. But now that the Lord has given me a desire for holiness, I just can't shake it. It's like I'm always thinking about, okay, I, I need to grow in this area. I, I need to be more holy, more righteous in this particular. I need to know more about something in concern with this area. Or I, I, maybe I have a character flaw or a pattern of behavior or maybe an outright sin. And those things bug me to the point that I'm, I'm constantly thinking and moving and trying to become who God wants me to be. That's what it means to walk in and to walk after sanctification. That's what it means to be a slave to righteousness. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that there's a standard out there that you're constantly wanting God to move you towards. And yes, you are working. There is, there is a human work in sanctification that has to come from the heart. And it overflows in physical and mental and spiritual effort. But it's something that God carries you through. He empowers you to do that. So you become a slave of righteousness. And he says, look, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But, and he, and he goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. He said, just as you once presented your members... As slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Now he says it again, and this, this, could, have, this could have been a, a good title of the message. Present yourself to God. He says, present your members. Present yourself. Present your mind, soul, body, desires. Present yourself. And present yourself in a certain way, present yourselves so that you might be slaves to righteousness. Because if you'll do this, it leads to this great process in your life. And it brings about an unfolding process of holiness and sanctification. This is what sanctification means. I haven't given you a definition of it yet because 
I see so many great definitions of sanctification out there, and all of them are great. But here's, here's, a, just a, 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 here's just a simple way to describe this. Sanctification is a progressive experience of holiness where we become more like Jesus. This is what Jesus prayed for you in John chapter 17. Jesus prayed this for you. You know, you know that Jesus prayed for you before he was arrested? You ought to go read John chapter 17 sometime. He prayed for you and for all of us before he went to the cross. And one of the things he prayed, he said, very simple prayer. And I'm sorry, I don't have it for the screen. You can go back and look it up in John chapter 17. He said, just simply, sanctify them. Sanctify them. Set them apart. Make them holy. This is the work that God's doing in your life. This is what he wants to see happen in you. This is what is happening in you if you know Jesus as Savior. He is moving you towards higher degrees of standards of righteousness. And God has promised that he who began this work in you will bring it on to completion. This is a progressive walk of holiness. And so I just ask you today, very simply, what's your choice? Who are you going to present yourself to? The Bible tells us what we get as a result of our choice. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. If we present ourselves to sin, if we present ourselves by making wrong choices and by submitting to a master that we no longer have to submit to, it says the wages of sin is death. But the truth is, really what this is talking about most forcefully is those people who have never presented themselves to God, have never been saved before, and the wages that they receive is eternal death without Christ. So whether we're saved or whether we're unsaved, we don't want any one of those, of those results. The Bible says, says that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, a wage is something that I earn myself. This is what you earn. And this is all you can earn through your own human effort when it comes to salvation. The only thing that you can earn is death. That's what you're going to be paid for any spiritual effort that you make apart from Christ. But a free gift is different. The Bible says the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So through Christ we get saved and through Christ we get sanctified. Would you be set apart today? Would you be set apart? Would you present yourself to God? I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. I want you to present yourself to God right now. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, I want you to present yourself to God in a way the way you call on Jesus to save you. Repentance and faith is the only way. Turn from yourself and turn to God. And pray and ask Jesus to save you. But the vast majority of you here today, you need to present yourselves to God again. You need to present yourselves to be slaves of righteousness. Some of you are, are, are believers here today and you're walking in some terrible sin or a bad uh, negative pattern of behavior or something in your life and you're feeling defeated. Don't be defeated by an enemy that has already been defeated by Jesus. Don't let sin reign 
in your mortal body, that you obey it. Don't obey it anymore. Sin will not be your master. It will not have dominion over you. Present yourselves to God right now. I don't know what that looks like in a prayer, but I want you to present yourselves to God right now through prayer. I want you to say, Lord, I present myself to you to be an instrument of righteousness. I know this is what you want from me. I know this is what you require from me. And maybe it's been a while since you've done that. Present yourself to God right now for service. Present yourself to God right now for righteousness. Present yourself to God right now to be an instrument of His holiness and an instrument of His grace. This is the command to you, to be His slave, to show up for service, to present yourself to Him.